Welcome to the Football by Football podcast. Let's do it. All right, folks, let's get into this. It's the Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. This is the somber show, but no, no, it's really not. I know this is the show after the Super Bowl, and many of you are looking for answers and things along those lines, and I'm here to provide you with my perspective from what I saw when I reviewed the game tape. So I understand, obviously, there are a hundred other things going on in the Patriots world. Um, you know, obviously the stories of Josh McDaniel, the intrigue about what really went down with M- Malcolm Butler. I do a lot of other shows, obviously, with Nesson, with the New England Sports Network. I'm going to dig into that stuff more there, you know, and so those segments will be out there. They usually post those videos online at Nesson.com, or you can just check me out when it's on TV at 5.30 live Eastern, 10 o'clock show, usually or morning. So they show that stuff over and over and over again. So I just don't want to burn through this particular show that's meant to be about wrapping the game and spend too much time on that stuff. That said, some of the Malcolm stuff will get mixed in to the play review because there'll be situations where I will talk through, hey, maybe that would have worked a little different had he been out there. But I don't want to get into the whole off-the-field portion of this because this is really meant to be a game uh, autopsy kind of show, as we always do. So, obviously, the Patriots lost. I mean, I'm not breaking news to you here on the podcast. <laughs> uh, for me, it was personally, it was it was a fun week down in Minnesota. I had a great time. Uh, um, I enjoyed the hospitality there with the with the, the all the host people there in Minnesota. They did a great job. Uh, the the game venue itself was tremendous. Uh, yes, it was cold, but it's Minnesota. Whatever that part didn't bother me. I think as much as did a lot of other people. Um, just the getting in and out of the Mall of America and all that kind of stuff. And that's obviously where you guys heard the show last week. Um, that you know that was a little bit tricky, but no big deal. You know it was a weird environment because of this whole mall thing, and then having to you know drive back and forth between sites. But other than that, I mean, no complaints. Got to be at the Super Bowl, had a great time. Uh, got to see an awesome football game, and you know the Patriots didn't win. But I think there was still a high entertainment factor in this thing. Uh, and and fortunately with this show, you know you're you're. Obviously, 99% of our listeners are going to be Patriots fans, and they're probably pissed off about the result, uh, and I completely get that. We'll walk through all the stuff as I saw it, uh, but I do want, in the back of your head, I don't want the just angry, bitter, you know, radio caller person. I mean, we're aiming here for a little bit different audience. Obviously, you're frustrated with the team, um, but I want to stay sort of hot take free here and really dig into what's on the film, uh, and I think there's a, a lot of new stuff there other than a lot of the normal narratives, and even stuff that I've already regurgitated it on TV that doesn't necessarily perfectly line up with everything that I saw in the coach's copy once it finally came out. So let's get into that. I think there's a lot of good meat here. And again, you're mad that your team didn't win, but I think there's a lot to appreciate about what they did. And I think there's also a lot to appreciate about what the Eagles did. And I know that might rub people the wrong way if you're just too ardent a Pats fan or whatever. But I think at the end of the day, this has always been my view. You can share it. You can hate it. I don't care. Uh, but my view is that I'm here to watch football and analyze football. And yes, my high preference is obviously the, the team that I played for and that I host this show for, uh, you know, or not for, but you know, about, uh, I, I obviously want the Patriots to win, but in the event that it doesn't happen, I do like to dig through, see what happened, talk reasonably about how that might be different, how it could be different, what went wrong, and also to appreciate the good stuff that happened on the other side with the other team. Cause Quite frankly, as I rewatched the thing, a little greater appreciation for what the Eagles got done on that day. And 
at the end of the day, I'm a much bigger football fan than I am a Patriots fan. No offense to everyone out there, even though, you know, obviously I love the Kraft family and I love my coaches there and my former teammates, but it's football first here. And I want to make sure that's clear as we rock through this thing, but let's dig into it. I think this will be a nice little historical piece. If you ever want to listen back to it to get a little more, hopefully accurate version of what went on in that game, other than just some of the highlights, there's a lot of meat in this thing. Obviously the Patriots are starting the game on defense first because they deferred. They win the coin toss. They're going to get the ball to start the second half so you know as I watch back that first series as a lot of you guys I'm sure watching this thing live it was a little frustrating to see the first drive take so long you know the first uh, Patriots defensive series ends in a field goal so you're thinking okay situation will win I guess uh, but it was a seven minute drive so first drive of the game had a little of an ominous feel to it uh, because they conceded a couple third down conversions uh, that you know, it looks like plays they probably should have gotten off the field if they'd executed a little better. Um, you know, you feel ultimately good at the end of it, not knowing how the rest of the game goes down, that they did harden and finish finish the series off by forcing a field goal. But the time suck there was a little bit astounding. You know, basically, after the Patriots take the ball back themselves and they go right down the field, their drive stalls as well and get a field goal. But huge chunk, basically most of the first quarter is gone after two series, which is kind of nuts. So um, that is just sort of the big picture idea of what happened in that defensive series. And you head into this thing. And, uh, you know, the first third down conversion of the game was not uh, really, in my view, a coverage problem. Uh, Eric Rose, one who ends up getting beat, uh, and and he gets beat on a jerk route, or, out the, uh, or not, not really a jerk, but like a double move, a double move that wasn't meant to be a double move. It's almost as if it became scramble rules. And why? That was because the right edge of the pocket got broken. Um, and what that means is, in my view, you know, you're going to go back and look and say, oh, wow, they, they got the conversion. Look who's in coverage against the guy that catches the pass. That's the problem. That guy shouldn't be there. And, and in my view, I went back to it and said, you know what? Had the pocket edge been there, that person doesn't get that second break to the route and that completion doesn't happen. So I thought they kind of blew it to the very first drive with not having a just, you know, up the field quarterback level, keep him inside the pocket, maybe slightly pressure the throw, but because the lot, the right edge was lost, offense is left, breaks pocket, ends up making an extended pass that otherwise wouldn't happen. So I think that's in part why we really do this show. And I want to make points like that. Whenever there's a moment where, you know, oh my gosh, the, you know, the, the camera panned to the guy that caught it, and then we're going to have a conversation conversation about who or what was covering him, or who was covering him, and if that's the right person to be covering him. You need to make sure all the other elements were in p- place that, you know, secured the play other than just who was in the coverage. So I think that's a very important point. They kind of blew the rush, which made it would have made it hard on anyone who happened to be in coverage on that particular play. Uh, just after that, though, there's a big-time tackle for loss by Kyle Van Noy. This is something I'm going to put a video up here later in the week. I, you guys may have seen on, on Twitter, I'm going out uh, and ice fishing <laughs> in South Dakota here as soon as I get done with the show. Uh, actually, I got nesting this evening, but then I'm, I'll fly later. So, um, you know, I'm bailing. So I'm, I'm going out to the, the great – cold north whatever and uh gonna do some ice fishing i'm gonna be away from things but i wanted some of these really really special plays that you know happen and loss to still get highlights still get some shine and kyle van noy had one of the coolest plays defensively of the day on, a, on an otherwise kind of trashy defensive day for the patriots where he splits a double team a yy well, not really a double team but two tight ends together splits them and then pulls a guy down in the backfield so basically he's getting a double team block and making a tackle for loss all in one swoop. So uh, as we went through this game, Kyle Van Noy played a lot more. 
he was kind of all over the place. And I, I think the more I watched it and saw plays that they were conceding where he wasn't in one of those two outside spots, I thought that was more or less an error. I can understand either Patricia or Belichick who are trying to slide things around as things didn't go well. They would put him back inside to kind of you know maybe help with some Band-Aid issues there with the inside linebacker position. But I think the best configuration didn't get used as much as I would have liked to have seen it with him staying as one of the two outside spots and uh, work more of Marquise Flowers inside. Marquise barely played. Uh, not not the rep count I was expecting. And I think he deserves a little more field time, so that'll be a nice thing to look at for next year because when he's stable and on the inside there, uh, allows Van Oy to live outside. He made some plays whenever he was there uh, you know, on the edge of the defense. So anyway, moving on forward, third and 12, it's a big completion uh, to Smith. And, you know, we, we, you know, you've seen Smith from back in the days when he was with, with the Ravens. He's a big shot player. Um, he did beat Eric Rowe on this particular dig route. It's a downfield route, third and 12, well beyond the sticks. I think it ends up being like a 15 or so yard completion. But that was probably the one play here as I went through this whole game where I was like, oh, Eric Rowe didn't cover that very well. Um, and I thought that was important because I kind of was going to go through this and knowing that people were going to be upset about the Butler thing and didn't want – and I wanted to – catalog it say okay if this had been butler not Rowe, does butler cover this better i didn't find a lot of those i I thought the more the greater issue for me with butler not playing at all was the domino effect at other spots so to me it was fine to have Rowe in there as one of the three corners on the field but it was the choice to just go two corners and have the safeties cover wide receivers which i found to be kind of a mess there were there were a lot of issues there where three corners as opposed to two corner and, and and an extra safety um, I thought that was a mistake. So to me, it became less about if Butler was in or not, because if it was just going to be two corners and Butler was at the corner spot where Roe was, they would still have problems at that other safety trying to cover Aguilar, uh, Nelson Aguilar, or, or or you know the tight ends or however they matched up. But there was a domino effect with those three spots other than the corner. So in my view, you know, as I'm watching this, and I thought this was a pretty good example, the, the, the coverage here, this is not, not no, actually and the one that's not an example of what we're talking about here, where Rowe would have been in the game even if it had been a three-corner situation. We don't know if he's on that guy necessarily, but he gives up a completion. It's just not tight enough coverage. Third and 12, you could be tight to a sticks route there. It's a dig route that's a little beyond the sticks, but it just wasn't great coverage on that one, and he gives up that completion. I say that, and I'm writing it down. It's the first one I got. It's just a few plays into the game. I'm like, okay, there must be a bunch more of these coming because that was kind of the feeling that I think a lot of people had with, oh, Roe played and Roe didn't play as well, so therefore Butler should have been in. I think it's a little more complicated than that. Roe actually had a pretty nice game other than that. It was more, you know, I think I'd rather see three corners on the field throughout the thing with Roe, Butler together, and with Gilmore instead of the extra safety thing because Jordan Richards and then having Chung play out of position and cover a wide receiver as opposed to having him on the tight end and then, you know, that shuffles where Harmon is, that shuffles where McCordy is, that whole thing just because the unwillingness to put Malcolm in the game, that, that, that mixed things up. I don't want the perception to be that, Malcolm should have been in there instead of Rowe, and then that solves everything because I don't think that's accurate and doesn't show up on the film. So just kind of keep that as an overriding thought as we head through all of these plays. Um, I, I thought one other th- thing here to hit on in this first drive was surprised to see how much they opted for James Harrison as opposed to Dietrich Wise. Uh, and I have been high, obviously, on Dietrich Wise throughout the season. He had a really minor role in this game. I, I haven't looked at you know Mike Reese is usually the guy I check. Jeff Howe, one of those guys that does – the catalog, the rep counts and things like that in the game. Just guessing without looking, I'm thinking Dietrich Wise played less than 10 plays. 
I maybe I, I shouldn't make that guess. I guess without without knowing exactly, but I really got the impression that he wasn't out there mu- that much. Adam Butler, I'd put him in the same vein. So they really went with the vet, James Harrison, instead of in sort of the boutique role, I would say, where he's more run down outside linebacker stuff, and occasionally as the the additional rusher and sub, maybe to power the edge, but. He played a lot of snaps in this game, and it seemed to be the detriment of of Dietrich Wise, who I think is one of their best length rushers, retrace guys, guys that can a guy that can be disruptive. I thought they lost that. I thought that was a little bit of an oddball thing. I would say that was to me is as big of an error as the Malcolm Butler thing, because a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about here is rush coordination, how much pocket pressure they got, and he's one of the guys that's really helped provide that. So you know, it's really easy because of the dramatics around Malcolm's situation to pinpoint at all that as the the only coaching error or coaching oddity. I guess I think the the lack of use of Dietrich Wise and Marquise Flowers to me, you know, kind of rang exactly the same way. We get into some of these and we see guys making mistakes, and I'm thinking, wow, I think they actually have better op- options on their roster. At least it'll perform better up to that moment. There are some better configurations available that, for whatever reason, they didn't use. But just keep that one in mind, the, the less wise, more Harrison thing. That was a big theme in this game as well. Um, now, on this same drive, there was a really bad screen execution. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that can kill you. Uh, and oddly enough, we had we touched on this at other points during the season where they played this really well. So I trumpet it when it's good. I got to really point it out when it, when it wasn't good. And this is something personally I can relate to because I've done this wrong and been yelled at by Coach Belichick and my coaches before. But what they say is when the other team's running the screen and you're playing linebacker, so you're off the ball and you're in pursuit of this thing, you have to go over the top. You have, in other words, if the screen has been thrown to a back, there's offensive linemen out in front of the play, and you're pursuing towards it, you never want to go backdoor. Backdoor means, like so, say the back is uh, flaring to the left, and I'm running to the left to get him. Um, they don't ever want me to go right around the blocker. You're supposed to go over the top, which means continue to move left. You can press the tackle or the the, the lineman out in space, hit him, but continue to go over the top to the direction you're running to try to turn it back into the guys are pursuing. If you go air quote back door, which means around the blocker behind where the guy's trying to run the screen, you usually get cut out of the place. They say if you go back door, you better make the play. That's the old saying. You go back door, you better make it. If you go back back door and don't make it, now there's nobody setting sort of the air quote edge to the screen, and uh, you're going to cut off some of the people behind you in pursuit. Because now instead of them having to get to where you entered, they got to get to where you were supposed to be, and they're further away from it, right? So that was a really bad screen execution, uh, and the, your offenders there were – it was really Kyle Van Noy who was just pumping up early. He made an awesome play against a run for the tackle for loss, but he played the screen really poorly here, and that ended up being a big chunk play down in the red zone. He went back door, screen bounces, and uh, also one thing that happened on that play, and I don't know why, but uh, Trey Flowers, who's the left end, he made a really aggressive inside move, and it may have been just because they had a call on or something. Sometimes those things are hard to tell because obviously I don't have the sheet in my hand. But he made a, an aggressive move right on the snap of the ball to go under the tackle. And the screen was going where he had started at, you know, back outside. So it's sort of like you make a move right into what's going to help the play work. So it was maybe just perfect lucky call that a screen was being pl- made when he did that. Or maybe uh, Flowers is improvising a little bit. He's just going to try an inside move and he tried it at the exact wrong time. So I don't know the answer to that, but the combination of those two things made it go awful poorly. And one of the first things I thought was that, you know, if 
some of the people that have historically been best at, at reading that and playing that, Dante Hightower is one of the best. He's playing middle linebacker. He has to get out over the top of the screen. He can run through the tackle, run around him, shoot, make the play, whatever it is, but doesn't have the problem, I think, of going back door. So just remembering that there are people on this roster that can do that better and usually do that better, but in the biggest moment, they didn't execute this one very well, and it hurt them on that play. So now, um, you know, uh, this is more theme-based, again, continuing on that drive, other than... You know, this is not one particular play this happened, but I thought Landon Roberts' very first series down the field, he was pretty poor on run fakes. You know, uh, he was getting lost, eyes kind of swimming, fading away from the play. You could tell there were just several moments where he wasn't sure if it was handed off or it was being passed, and he wasn't real sharp in his reads. And I thought he kind of floated around this game. You know, I've been continuing to not pump him up, but, you know, analyze what I've seen for the last month or so, and I thought his play had been a lot better. This was a bad game for Landon. He he really, uh, he, he was, I use the word soft, and it's not to say the person's not a tough guy. He's tougher than shit. But I'd say soft in that he, he ended up not running aggressively into plays. He got caught on his heels a lot. He got caught even fading away from plays a lot where he needed to go get into them, and it's usually more of a mental thing. You know, you haven't read it qu- you know quickly or, or correctly, and you end up playing the air quote, soft way of playing it but again it's not about toughness or manhood or anything like that it's just there were too many moments where he wasn't decisive enough and quick and blowing stuff up part of that is just probably being confused so I think it was a an unfortunately not a great game for him and you know they need a better play from that middle linebacker spot I find myself thinking as much as as much as they were willing to go to the older guy and James Harrison uh, for a stable force there. I thought the difference between the vet young guy choice they're making here, Harrison over Dietrich Wise, for sub-rushing I'm talking about. I thought Dietrich, I thought in that situation the vet is maybe a little less desirable, at least for the long-term rep thing. In the same vein, with the middle linebacker position, they're making a similar call between David Harris and Alandon Roberts. And I thought in this game, I thought they missed David Harris. I, I This was one of the games where it did start to pop into my head. I was like, you know what? They just keep not getting these scheme runs very well, and they're playing more of the middle line, but not the three-four stuff where you know you have an off-the-ball linebacker left and right or center in the middle over the guards, but a lot of the just the Mike, the middle linebacker is over center, and he's got to read both sides of center. He's got to flow, make plays. That's what David Harris does best. So I did find myself thinking something that I know a lot of fans out there think from time to time that, you know, what about this guy? Couldn't he have done it? And I know David got very little work this year, but presuming he's healthy, these were the kind of moments where I thought he could have been of the most help. I think he would have been a really valuable guy to have up on the roster because a lot of these scheme runs, it just kept getting screwed up. And I remember the the, the, you know, the, uh, the uh, Eagles go for six yards of carry. They have a huge day on the ground. And that was, me, the thing that opened all the things up for, for Nick Foles to do what he did. And I look back at it and say, man, you actually drafted a really super stable Mike linebacker, and he was inactive. And he really hasn't played much at all this season. You brought him up for just a few games, and he played pretty solidly in all those. I know it's tough. You only get 46, and maybe I'm making an argument here where they just couldn't get around it because there was some other super important special team spot. And it sounds kind of facetious saying that, but I look at this particular game and think, man, if I had one spot where it would have been nice to have maybe a little more stability, experience to fall back upon, 
you had it, didn't use it. And I think that's as, as disappointing as Malcolm or not, you know, but again, I'm seeing things from a little different view than you guys. And I completely get that, but that's something that popped up to me as well. I mean, as much as you're going to go back in this film and say, Oh, they completed this pass. Oh, they completed that pass. And had Malcolm been there, I'm also looking at the run front stuff, which helps precipitate a lot of the availability of pass stuff and saying, Hmm, I think they could have played that run play better, and they've got a pretty, pretty even though he's older, a pretty solid Mike linebacker that, that knows how to play that better. Uh, but again, and this to counter everything I'm saying right now, I don't get to see practices, so I have no clue that since that time that, that David got, if he had some fall off or had some physical issues or what. I don't know that. So I'm just presuming him to be at full, full health, full strength, and playing in the way I saw him play in the games where they gave him chances. And I thought there was more there, and that more would have helped them as much as some of the other more popular topics on D. Um, now, moving on, um, let's uh, let's see. This is the thing that I think became more and more uh, surprising to me as I watched the film. And it was Eric Rowe making big-time PBUs. I think he had three, maybe the number's four, but he had the goal line PBU here on Alshon Jeffrey. Big-time play. Uh, and that save points because this thing ends up in a field goal and obviously those four points you can put it on the guy that people were you know kind of bagging on why is Eric Rowe out there instead of Malcolm I don't really I came away from this thinking you know what this needed to be a three-corner day anyway and without it you know without this little controversy portion maybe you're, you're talking about uh, I don't know that Malcolm you know Malcolm Oh, I don't actually I'm, I'm thinking this through now as I'm doing this in live time. I know Jonathan Jones got hurt, so I guess maybe we would be here Jonathan Jones, Stefan Gilmore, and Rowe, and, and and you could still get away with a three corner thing in absence of Malcolm. Or if it's Malcolm in there, it's just Malcolm Rowe and, and Gilmore and that works as well. But um I don't I never other than that first drive had the thought where wow Rowe's overwhelmed here and he needs to be out and the other guy needs to be in. I don't think that was it at all. So nice PBU here on the goal line, big time play. Uh, and like I said before, seven-minute drive, so that ain't into some time. So I, I just realized it took a big chunk of time there just to get to the first drive. So hopefully I set the table, and we'll fly through some of this stuff a little more quickly. Um, for the Patriots offense here, they're efficient down the field. Big play-action help on that very first drive of the game. The Hogan to Amendola uh, over. You guys may remember this on that very first drive. Basically, Hogan and Amendola are both running crossing routes or sort of you know, over routes of some sort, and they're on different levels. And Brady's basically got the choice of either of the two guys. He picks the shorter one, which ends up being the smart move because it allows the other dude to block for um, block for him out in front. So that was a cool little play. Hitting Gronk off play action in the red zone, uh, that helped uh, show the lead action. In other words, like a fullback, which, you know, Devlin and the back. Everything downhill looks like it's going to be passed. Pull it out of the gut, hit Gronk. Um, you know, so stuff starts going, but now you're in the lower red area and they stalled. So uh, three bad plays that just didn't go where they needed to go. wasn't great low red execution, but overall it was sort of a length of the field drive that was very good and efficient for everything other than the low red portion. And that in and of itself was a lot what the like what the Eagles did as well. Um, it was oddly enough on that drive, uh, you know, on the 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 play that becomes the incompletion, uh, the third down play. Tom, I th- think, had basically chosen the wrong one of the two two-man games. So he had two-man game to the left of him, two-man game to the right of him. He has Gronk in the middle. And when I say two-man game, I'm just saying there's going to run like a little crossing route between two receivers extended to one side or two to the other side. And I'm not saying, you know, there's no way to know it's the wrong, the wrong one. It's not like he picked the wrong one per the coverage. But he did look left first, and that, got, that two-man game got picked up real well by the Eagles. Had he looked right, 
uh, Amendola, I believe it was, came open immediately and would have been at first down depth and would have gotten the first down. But and this is easy Monday morning quarterbacking by me. I completely get it. It's, it's not fair. Uh, but because Tom looked to the other one first for whatever reason, he didn't have time to get his eyes back all the way over to the right side and see it would have been late anyway. So in other words, he th- so instead he throws at Gronk and he was covered pretty tight. So, you know, sometimes those things happen. You had it in your mind that you're going to, you know, you had one of two choose. He chose the one that didn't pop free and then he had to quickly get rid of the ball because of pressure and then throws it into a tight spot to Gronk. Now you're incomplete and you got to kick a field goal. So now it's tied 3-3. Patriots get over the hump at least with that uh, old notion of no first half scoring or first quarter, excuse me, scoring in a, in a Super Bowl. They get three, not seven, but something. Um, Let's see. Now we got a, a Pat, Patriots Chiefs are up now here, and he gets a three-play drive, and I think that's very important uh, because I had kind of I had kind of forgotten about this. Uh, you know, I, I I remember seeing it live, and remember seeing Eric Rowe getting beat pretty badly by Julio. I almost did it by Alshon Jeffrey. Jeffrey thinking it was beat badly. It was a gorgeous touchdown. It was an amazing throw. Uh, but I did see Rowe get up off it and go, oh, wait a minute, what's he doing covering him? And what I had forgotten was kind of a little of the stuff that w- that happened in the previous Super Bowl against the Falcons. And I went back and looked, and I was like, you know what? That Jeffries catch, that one and the one we'll talk about later, reminds me Julio Jones did that twice as well, where you can go back and just insert the defensive back right into the pocket of the wide receiver and it's a ridiculously good throw, Matt Ryan to Julio Jones, and Julio extending length, all the stuff we always talk about with Gronk, really, and just making a gorgeous catch. Uh, great throw, gorgeous catch. And that's kind of what I, after redoing it and relooking at it a little harder, realized, okay, yeah, that's, that's just great football. I don't think Rowe standing there, even Gilmore standing there, Malcolm either way, really would have made much difference on that. But the the kick in the nuts here for the Patriots defense, that this whole drive was just three plays, as we mentioned. So, 36-yard run to the it was the big chunk to start it off to 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 Legarrette Blunt, and uh, the way I look back at it, I mean, best I can get without the, knowing the exact responsibilities in the front, but just how they were aligned and how the thing sort of unfolded post snap, it looked to me like Malcolm Brown was was in position and just simply didn't make the play. Uh, because this is a podcast, obviously you don't get to see the visual component to it. I'll try to explain this best I can, but. Um, if you can imagine big number 90, Malcolm Brown, he's, you know, he's usually playing there on the inside, either over center or one of the guards. What happens here is he's aligned sort of to the right guard side. And what happens is the run goes inside of him to his left, but he's actually held up and blocked by the tackle who's slightly outside of him. So usually in moments like that, if you're inside leverage of the guy who's blocking you and the run is coming inside of you, Usually the coaching point is you've got to separate and make the play. In moments like that, all they can do is put you in the gap. A lot of times you'll see, you know, players who aren't as good uh, as as guys like Malcolm and and Lawrence Guy and some of those guys usually are. They'll be in the gap, but it still gets run through even though they're in the gap, you know, because they're being blocked and they can't get off the block. Uh, And I thought there was a lot of problems with that in this game, and I think it's a big tip-the-cap moment to the Eagles' offensive line. The Eagles' offensive line won this battle, you know, decisively on the day. Uh, And I thought there were too too many of those moments where Malcolm Brown had really been playing well leading up to this, but I thought he had a hard time getting enough blocks in this game and making plays, making no negative plays to my recollection. And in this particular instance, it ends up being a big 36-yard run that goes through his run gap, and you're being blocked by someone outside of you. That shouldn't happen. You should be able to separate and make that play. And I got a lot of... I got a lot of respect for Malcolm Brown to watch his game and really 
trying to build him up from what I've seen. And I just didn't think this was a very good game for me. He lost his one-on-ones too many times. Um, you know, to have a good day. And I think that kind of fits with the theme. Kyle Van Noy's uh, post-game quote I thought was probably the closest to, to hitting the nail on the head. He's like, we just didn't show up and play today. Something to that effect. I hope I didn't butcher that quote. But, you know, we just we just didn't come to play today. Something along those lines. And I, I think you could look at that and say, yeah, that's pretty accurate for, for a handful of guys out there that played at a much higher level through most of the year other than what they did on this day. So that just happened. So got to get off the blocks uh, when you're in a gap they're in a position to make a play. So, and again, now we're back to this next play, and it was that incredible catch and catch uh, by Jeffrey at the back of the end zone. Coverage was good. I don't think Butler would have helped there at all, and I don't think, you know, had Butler been in the game and this slid someone to someone else, that would have mattered either. In this particular play, uh, I don't think anyone's making that, you know, unless you're covering them with Gronk or something, someone with that kind of length and extension, and that person doesn't exist. So sometimes they make a play. I thought the real mistake here on this drive was the, was the run thing with Blunt that set this up more than the touchdown throw and catch itself. Missed extra point, though, by Philadelphia, and I know fans out there of Patriots are obviously going to remember that the Guskowski misses his later, but I had actually forgotten until review that, oh, yeah, both kickers missed an extra point. That was bizarre. Now, I'd say overall for the game, the New England kick return was very poor. And uh, that's unfortunate because there weren't a lot of opportunities. Uh, like, obviously, you guys understand that the punting game didn't even exist. The Patriots didn't punt. Uh, the, the Eagles only had to punt once, so there really are no punt opportunities. Kind of did allude to that going into the game, though. I didn't think it was going to be much at all a part of the game. And I think we were right on that portion as far as punt. It just it didn't happen. There one punt a game. Um, but no, so, so, excuse me, I was wrong in that I, I – posited that it would be punt that would be more active and that uh, the kick return would be non-existent. There were actually some kick returns, and the Patriots' kick return unit kind of sucked. It, you know, it just didn't – they never got any any nice returns, never got one out after the 30. Uh, and unfortunately, their really, really stellar kick-off coverage team led up a few of them in moments where they really needed it, and I thought that was kind of surprising. We'll go through those later. But a poor kick return here to start this thing. Patriots offense starts things off. Gronk flinches, you know, and again, so it's in that moment. Drive start, tight end, moves. Ugh, you know, that just doesn't seem very Patriot-esque. Now you're first and 15, so you're just, you know, not, not, the attention to detail wasn't there great early. Um, the run game is clicking, though, and I think that was important and nice. The run game did get going nicely on this this drive, uh, things are rolling there with the running game. There's the Amendola wheel. Now we've moved into the second. We've we've seen the we, we've moved into the second uh, quarter here. So now we flip directions. Amendola runs a wheel route. He blows the coverage. Uh, they blow the coverage. I, I, this could have really easily been a, t- a touchdown, except that there was a little bit of pocket push. The pocket kind of collapsed on Tom, so he had to. He got the throw out there, completes the big pass to Danny, but it's a little bit underthrown, so he has to stop and can't continue on. Had the if he had a little better porch to throw into, where he didn't feel like he had to. He jumps to his left and resets his feet to throw it down there. Um, this probably hits Amadol on the run, but the reset time and then throwing a little off balance, it, he gets it out there 50 yards or whatever, but doesn't hit him quite in stride. So uh, it ends up being a huge play in the game, 50-yard play, but I think it ends up looking a little bit worse here uh, when they flip directions, go the other way in the second quarter, and then the drive stalls. And you're like, oh, man, if that if the protection had been just a tick better there, that's actually a touchdown because he, you know, he was – 15 yards out in front of the coverage. Coverage catches back up when the ball's underthrown a little bit. Um, this is one of the – the next thing is the Cooks reverse play. You remember Brandon Cooks had had some nice plays in the game. Uh, you know, he – well, later on, I guess, and obviously a poor guy gets knocked out uh, with a concussion. 
But this, to me, the reverse play where he jumps on third down, um, I thought that was one of the more frustrating plays in the game because it, it kind of relates back to, to Coach Belichick with the whole, you know, smart football. And the way things that anything that happens in a Super Bowl playoff game, any game really, can break down to the individual drills that they work on. And there's this drill, this 20-yard drill. It's just a regular tackling drill that we've done forever and ever. Back when I played, they still do it now. Uh, where you stand 20 yards away from each other, one ball carrier, one one you know tackler, and you close the distance on each other, and it's just a live play. Who's going to make the tackle? And sometimes you do it from angle tackle. In other words, both people start kind of on the sideline or inside and then run with the sideline as your helper, or they do it right down the middle. And this, once Brandon Cooks catches the reverse or you know gets the handoff from the reverse, and he's stopped and turned to go upfield, he is in that 20-yard kickoff, or he's in that 20-yard tackle drill. Because one guy is free, the safety's coming from the free safety depth or strong safety depth, whatever. He's off the ball, and he comes running at Cooks, and it's the drill. That's the drill right there. One guy to miss. And it's not even miss to score a touchdown. All you do is get the five or six yards or whatever it is. So at the time they're away from each other when it's paused, there's tons of space between the two of them. But Cooks, for other reason doesn't keep running hard and one cut, which is what Belichick is always so big into. Run hard, one cut on the move without decelerating, and get that first down or score. You know, you should be able to make one guy miss. But he decels a little bit, just enough, and the tackler does a great job of running through the play because he decels, and instead of restarting his running fast, he tries that crazy jump and it goes nowhere and the problem with it is because it's a jump he doesn't fall forward right if he jumped and dove over him or something maybe that's a little different but you bailed out the tackler by not making a cut and then you tried this jump thing and don't end up in a fall forward situation so you come right back down and you don't get the first down so I like the play call it was set up Cooks had the ball in his hands with a really great opportunity to get the first down just didn't execute and that's unfortunate he had an awesome year he's a very good player I don't think he's a very natural runner with the football, although he is a very fast guy. So in that moment, it would have been, I think, obviously much better for the team had he used his best asset, which was his speed. And that doesn't mean you don't make a cut. You can make a cut at full speed and then just die for the first down or run through the first down. You, you just you let the you let the tackle off the hook when you pick the the method he did there. The jump just didn't work, and they end up having to kick a field goal. And unfortunately, it's a mishandled snap there by by the punter, the holder, Ryan Allen didn't. Uh, didn't hang on to the thing, had to reset. And uh, once he did, Giskowski start, stop, and then missed. Which, you know, if you have to stop and then restart as a kicker, you're not, you're not going to make it. So nine times out of ten, that's that's difficult there in a timing gig. So the mishandled snap, the bad return, or I'm sorry, the bad reverse, the mishandled snap, toast. So moving on to the next thing. I know this sounds like morbid, like we're doing, <laughs> like no one died, people. We're just going through a football game here. But um, th- this was some stuff that was was a little bit disappointing, clearly. Now, New England defense is back out there on the field, and it was a three and out. Here's your joyful segment to the <laughs> the Real Thing Patriots podcast. Three and out. The Patriots had a good defensive series. Three and out, forced a punt, the only punt of the day. Now, New England offense is back there out there on the field. This is when Cooks' injury happens, and, you know, he runs a great route. I think that's something that people have criticized him for this year, that he's just the fast guy. He has a nice double move, uh, you know, up the middle of the field. The the cut at the top of the route, Stem loses his guy, does a nice job of getting out of the break, pulling away. It's a nice route, and Tom throws a great ball. 
uh, it's on him. Now he got a real nice catch and run thing, and uh, unfortunately, he just he just got blown up because he didn't he wasn't aware of the the backside pursuit. Malcolm Jenkins was coming from off the ball. Uh, he didn't see that. He he kind of was cutting away from the guy that he felt to his right, and he cut back into a hit, and it's a big violent hit. But that's football, man. I, I, for the people out there that want that to be penalized, when he's he's not a, he's not a defensive receiver, he's just a runner. He's out there running. And he didn't anticipate the, you know, the the hit to his left. It happens. It's chaos out there. But the idea that you want a guy that's running at someone full speed who's then being cut back into by the runner, get out of here. I mean, that you're going to penalize that somehow? No way. That's that's a you know, helmets hit. The hell, when when ball carriers are are running the ball, typically they, their helmet hits the other guy anyway, because usually you lower it into him. It happens on almost every single running play. So yes, helmets are going to hit once you're a runner. It's almost it's a virtual certainty. You know, dive into their hips. You know, a good chance of missing the tackle that way. He just cut back into something. It's unfortunate, but that was 100% a clean football play. And unfortunately, Brandon got hurt, and his you know his his loss hurts a little bit. You know, I think fortunately it's probably one of the things that he overcame the best in the game because he did go out and you still end up with over 600 yards of offense. But you know, obviously it sucks for any guy who big dreams to be there in that day. You make a nice big play. Credit him also for hanging out of the ball in that situation. He doesn't fumble. He takes a huge blindside hit, hangs on to it. Yes, he gets knocked out, but that's still something. Ball possession was there uh, and doesn't get to finish the game in the Super Bowl, biggest game of your life, man. It sucks for the guy, but uh, don't want anyone out there having those thoughts that there somehow should have been a flag for that. That's that's complete nonsense. Um, so moving on here, um, there's uh, the fourth, and, and this is the portion I didn't like, though. Now, a little on, this thing goes on a little bit further in the drive here. And there's the fourth down fade to Gronk, which they got the they got the ball up here now after this next play or two or whatever it was, to the distance where over the fifty two yard field goal. Now, this to me is also sort of an extension of the the mounting frustration about lots of little loose ends and little leaks that are going on with a team that you don't normally see with Patriot stuff. And this was the you know, the idea that, that they'd had the mishandled snap on the last kick, I think, dissuades Coach Belichick from going for or kicking a, an obvious 52-yard ball. You've got one of the best legs in the league. You've got Guskowski who's been had another nice year. Um, you know, maybe you're worried that, oh, he just had to do that stop-restart thing. We got a bad snap. And it, and it colors your perception of what should be a, a straightforward operation. 52 is something he can make. And it's indoors, very temperature-controlled environment, great surface underfoot. Like, this is the kind of – that's a kick he makes. And I think later on in the game he hits a 45-yarder and he bombs it through. You know, it's seven yards shorter than what this kick would have been, but there's plenty of leg right down the middle. So it made me think, you know, they got they, – it they, they looks like they talked themselves out of a 52-yarder they most likely would have made or had a great chance of making anyway, and instead went for with a fade route to Rob Gronkowski. I love feeding rock. I don't love fades to anyone on got-to-have-it moments. Fades on third down, I get it, I guess. But I prefer, as I think a lot of people do, a more surefire thing and – you know, go use the fades on first and second down. Maybe on third if you're in four down territory. But I hate it. I hate it. I hate it because it's kind of low percentage throw to it on fourth. So they turn down a field goal because of a screw up earlier, and then they go for a fade on fourth and it doesn't work. So right now it's you know that's probably your worst sequence of offense that you had in the game. Um, and other than that, obviously they were gangbusters on the day. They you know setting records left and right. Brady was phenomenal, but. That was a moment where it was like, you know what, I think they were affected by the mishandled snap, making a weird decision. They went for a low percentage play that didn't work. So moving on here, we're now on defense, and uh, this is the third and seven conversion. Uh, I think, you know, they were 
I, I sent out a tweet about Jordan Richards, which I, you know, in retrospect, I kind of regret it. Is it was telling? It was yeah. It was a little too. You know, this it could be read as like I think he's not good at football or something like that. And I didn't mean that, but I did mean that that realistically he was in a very very bad matchup. Uh, when as soon as Jordan Richards came on the field and you find yourself in man to man situations with their number one target and Zach Ertz, that's not a favorable matchup for the team. So it's not Jordan Richards shouldn't be on the field. Period. It's more Jordan Richards if he's going to be on the field, don't leave him in a situation where he's going to be matched up with their best player. Have him cover backs. Have him play in a zone. You know, have him cover the second tight end. But if you're going to end up with him isoed on their best, their leading receiver, that's you know, it's taken one of your. 10th best players or something on defense from a coverage standpoint and putting them on their number one. It's just a bad matchup. So I wrote my tweet, which I kind of regret in retrospect. I'm not going to delete it because it looks like I was embarrassed by saying it. It's not that. I just don't want to kill the guy as if it comes off like he's just terrible in all things. No, I just don't think you ever want him as your ISO guy and their best player. That's not a good idea. It's a safety who's, you know, it's just, it's not a good idea. And they went right to him. And it's obvious the Eagles had, done some study there they see the iso it's off coverage they go right to Ertz, and uh you know it's an easy first down and that's another one of these many third down conversions and again this is part of the the sequence with the butler thing butler's not in so they're using safeties to cover they're using that third safety on the field instead of the third corner which just it didn't work for him on this day so Foles throw and the jeffrey catch holy hell this was my next sort of note in this, and I think it's a really big play in the game, obviously. Uh, but this is never one of those t- tip-the-cap situations. It's more of a zone defense. There's three defenders near. Foles drops back, throws a nice ball to the outside to, to Alshon Jeffrey. This was another. This is why the guy got MVP, and he deserved it, absolutely. This was a dime. Uh, this was a winning throw. It was you know with a safety over the top of this, a safety dropper underneath of it, and a corner dropping. Uh, to the outside of it, it was you know it sort of triangulated, and he was able to fit it in. Really nice ball there. That's again, that's just a hat tip moment. Now next comes uh, the blunt long touchdown run, and this to me was one of the more dissatisf- dissatisfying, let's say that place of the day. Terrible run defense over well. It was blocked really well up front, uh, but you had bad technique really in my view by four people uh, at the nose. Brown's taken over pretty easily by Kelsey. Um, Let's see what else we got here. Yeah, James James Harrison on the YY. He got you know crashed in really easily. Uh, doesn't hold up there. Chung didn't come down terribly aggressively either, so now you've got some space between the guy not winning the YY and Chung off the ball. Uh, you know, Chung's usually incredible at that. He's a great fill safety, but he, he kind of passives around word, but he just kind of didn't gain ground towards the line of scrimmage, so now there's space and ends up with too big of a hole there moving laterally and not downhill. And Alan Roberts, he, he just didn't do much on the play. He kind of stands over and just flows, you know, stands off the ball at middle linebacker and just didn't read it well. It doesn't come up, doesn't – just a bad read. I don't know how else to say it. This sounded depressing. I hope it's not a depressing show. I hope if you're driving, maybe pause me for a minute and play some happy music or something. But uh, that was bad. It was just bad. There's four guys bad. So, again, and this is one of those other moments where the more I watch the film, I was like, you know what, I feel less and less strong about any of the Malcolm Butler stuff because I can find so many other things that cost these guys on the day. They just did not perform well, and I think that's that's another one of those examples. So um, this is that was that was probably, in my view, one of the worst plays of the day defensively, and it wasn't even a pass. So I think that's that's probably something that, that you, you know, if, I, if you're you're thinking back to this day, five years from now, ten years from now, and you're retelling the story of that, 
I don't want you to think just about Malcolm Butler. There was it was a really bad day of run defense, and that that usually comes before the opportunities that come in the past. And you know when 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 Legarrette Blunt runs it in from thirty plus yards or whatever it was. I mean that's the kind of stuff you don't give up. Uh, this defense didn't give up this year once they'd righted the ship in October. So you had a bunch of stuff show up in this game that just weren't there at other parts of the year. And I, I think really the if you weren't going to give a, an MVP to Foles, you could really have given an, an MVP to the five offensive linemen. They could have shared that thing in a minute. It was a really great day by those guys. And you know, like I said here, you're looking at four guys across the four four guys front side on a run, and all four lost in my view on that particular block. So anyway, now this is again one of those moments that gets sort of lost in the shuffle. But uh, Eric Rowe has a nice PBU on the two point conversion. Another break up there, and that's points. You go back and look at the, uh, you know, look at the end of the game, and Eric, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, Rowe had the PBU on the touchdown potential catch by earlier that became a field goal. That's four points with his PBU. There's another PBU and a two point conversion. Uh, so you know, solely responsible really for six point swing. So I don't think you know, and looking what that final score was, and all the other things they would have been going for had he not done that, uh, it's pretty big. So I, I think Eric Rowe does not. You know, he might history might remember him with Patriot fans as maybe he shouldn't have been out there because Malcolm could should have. Eric Rowe, I think, apprised himself pretty well in this game, and I don't think that should be overlooked. I think there's factually you can go through and say, oh, he actually made a ton of plays that helped the scoreboard, uh, regardless of how much you felt the other stuff. Um, I think the insertion of Malcolm would have been with Rowe also out there in, in the best configuration they could have had but didn't. Um, so anyway, moving on, Pat's offense. This was a huge Burkhead screen down. Uh, they took advantage of uh, of Cox up the field, number 91 over the middle. We talked about that a lot in the show leading up. His aggressiveness up the field was a perfect time to run the screen. Um, and then they also ran right at uh, Malcolm Jenkins. I thought this was one of the plays that really high, and I'll do a video on this one, throw it out to you guys later. But I thought this was definitely one of those plays that highlighted some of the stuff we talked about in pregame that we I, I wanted the Patriots to go after, and they actually did. And it was, again, getting Cox up the field and taking advantage of the, the vertical holes that are made by that. Uh, they did, and then also ran it right at Malcolm Jenkins. So you see a, a six-man box. Jen, uh, Cox flies off the field. The run goes direct right at uh, right at Malcolm Jenkins. They block him right off the ball. Ends up being a huge play. Uh, you know, I think it was a really good, really good way of attacking the personnel that they had. Um, now, this is when Guskowski hits the bomb. Obviously, after that screen, the rest of the drive did stall. I don't recall exactly what I don't have in my notes, but Guskowski hits the bomb, 50, 45 yarder down the middle with lots of extra room to spare. So. Uh, that was the one that makes me go back and look at the 52-yarder they turned down and go, oof, you know, I think those guys go over the sideline, they work the operation back out. It's not like you could expect another fumble or mishandled snap. But I guess I can understand a coach being freaked out about after they've seen it happen once. So now the Pats defense is back on the field. Uh, they get it to third and four, uh, and they go with a tiny subgroup. And this was the one little interesting counter move, the chess uh, that the Eagles went with. And this was the right move. The Eagles did a great job throughout the day of if the, if the Patriots went with something – they usually had the right answer, uh, you know, schematically for what would work against it. Patriots tried their little sort of smaller subgroup. They go Adam Butler over the nose, so they're going lighter there. He's a really good pass rusher, but he barely had a role on the day. Uh, you know, the time he did get in here this one time, they put Marquise Flowers and Van Noyen as the air quote tackles, so they're kind of in the box where bigger guys would be, you know, standing there. And they put Jordan Richards down in as the box safety. Uh, those that's a tiny ass group for a front and it's third and four. And what do the Eagles do? I don't know if they checked to it or they just saw it and went at it. And well, that would mean check to it. Uh, but they ran run and everyone blocked up 
26 yards, JJ just boom, right down the field. So huge run play, and it was like, okay, if they're going to show a small sub front, run right at them. And they did. So I thought that was one of the moments where it's like, okay, you're meant to tempt, you know, the, the temptation is to do that. You know, they're tempting you to do it, daring you to do it, I guess is probably a better word. And if you take the dare and, and you gouge them, it's like, okay, now get out of that. And we actually didn't see much more of that small group again the rest of the day. So I think the Patriots are on their lesson on that. But for some reason, they then didn't use Butler at all. And like I said, Butler and Wise just didn't get a lot of reps in this game, and I don't know why. It's not as if that was a singular issue to Butler, but it seemed to be read that way to me. I'm, I'm talking about Adam Butler here now. Um, so anyway, the, the next thing is the interception, though. The interception comes on that same drive, uh, great Coverage there again. I think it was, I believe it was Gilmore on Jeffrey this time. The ball gets tipped up in the air. It's intercepted by Dron Harmon. Nice play. The one turnover of the game. That's nice defense there and off the field. Pat's offense now get get it back. And, again, this is going to be the long drive because the, the interceptions put him back so far. Nice bucket throw by Tom Brady. This is one of the best ones you'll see of the day. It's sort of a phone book kind of situation. That it's not that there was bad production and no one gets beat to a side, but it starts to close in on him, so Tom's not able to really step into it. But he flings a you know 45 or 50-yarder kind of thing. Uh, it was a double move by Hogan. Gets a dime. It, so it's great route. Great throw, good enough protection, really good offense there. Big, big, big time play. And I mean, if the, the the Patriots had won this game, and you're going back and look at all this, you know, the, the great things that did happen, that would have been one of the biggest highlights of it. But I think it does get kind of lost in the disappointment of all the other things. Now, the white touchdown comes right after this play, so it's, it's really I think the pace picked up right after they get the big ho- you know the big bucket throw to Hogan. White's touchdown comes right after that, uh, and this was again as we just mentioned, Dink- Jenkins is the down guy, the safety. Find that safety, run right at him. They did, and White makes a nice real a really nice initial cut, and uh, it's blocked very well up front. And he, White does break two tackles at the end. I think people often forget, I'm probably one of them, that he's got that in him as well. It's not just shaking people. He's willing to put his head down, and he's got strong hips, and he runs through things. So awesome job there by by uh, by James White. Awesome job of the offensive line. They, this is really when those guys started working well together. So you get the interception. You get the length of the field drive, touchdown. Uh, Guskowski comes in and misses the extra point. So as I mentioned, both kickers missed an extra point. Guskowski misses this one. Uh, yeah, just looked like he hurried it. You know, it's like a golfer kind of thing. Uh, he just hooked it. He looked like his, he was just a little too quick. It went left fast on him. He knew it immediately. He saw his reaction. Uh, so on the day, you know, Guskowski ends up kicking off normally well, as he always does. Uh, he misses one field goal that's not his fault at all. It was the hold. But then he does miss an extra point. So it ends up making it kind of an up-and-down day for him. He hits a bomb, uh, made some other stuff. But, you know, that's missing the extra point sucks. But... Obviously, you can see now professionally they're not gimmies because the other dudes missed them too, but you still want to make those, obviously. So now New England's offense back on the field, two-minute drill, uh, 27-yard return to the 30, so pretty solid. Um, and actually I said, oh, I'm sorry, this is this is not the offense. This is the New England defense, my bad. And this to me was uh, more disappointing, uh, and that's why I said they, they give up a 27-yard return to the 30. And in my view, that was special teams-wise, one of the more negative plays they had on the day. And uh, it's because you're in the two-minute drill and you're going to pin them deep. Think what these extra yards would have been. Uh, and this is another one I'll throw a video out on there later so you can get a better vision of what it is I'm, I'm talking about here. But uh, Jermaine Grissom, who's had a nice season, you know, he got up and got himself active and started adding in on special teams and has done a generally nice job. Uh, he got up in that one game, got a couple sacks, and he you know, got to play some defensive snaps there late in the year. 
but he's running down at the three. This is a position that I used to play. Um, the three means you know, count from the outside on the kickoff team, count from the edge of the guys at the sideline. He's a one. And you go one, two, three. So the third guy in usually runs down the numbers. And Grissom went inside of his blocker. In other words, he went back to the middle of the field. And in doing that, the the return bounced outside of him, ends up being a 27-yard return, ends up being at the 30. Now remember, this is the two-minute drive that ends up in the the, the Foles, uh, you know, the Foles trick play touchdown. And remember, this thing's down at the one-yard line. If this is not at the 30 and it's at even the 25 with a touchback or something inside the 25, you're probably not getting the same sequence of plays. And and I think that you know it's just that so it's it's showing you that that five yards matters. If if they they pin them inside the twenty, which they've done so often this year, it's it's typically what that coverage unit does. Take ten yards off this, then your whole little fake thing is going on at the ten yard line or the eleven yard line, and not and not Royer was, where it's a little difficult to defend the trick plays down there. So, I think that's disappointing. You know, this is a two minute drive. Your special teams is special teams kickoff unit. It's one of the best things you got on your in your roster. And they give up a long one, and those yards end up mattering at the end of the drive. So. Um, that just is what it is. That was not good execution. Special teams play that hurt them ultimately at the end of this. Uh, Rowe gets a PBU on the sideline, knocking uh, a bobbled throw by uh, by Smith out again there. So good coverage there by Rowe. Uh, Jordan Richards gets toasted here, and this is sort of one of the uh, this is the play that makes the two minute drive. Unfortunately, as fifty yard fifty five yard play, Jordan Richards gets toasted on a Clement flat route. So Clement's in there at the, more, the back spot, the little more pass catching back, runs directly to the flat. Uh, you know they're trying to pick Richards a little bit, but he Richard actually does a pretty nice job of getting past the pick. It's not like he gets knocked off, but it looks like he's aggressively sort of going for the jam. He's trying to get a knock on Clement, and it kind of whiffs. So he whiffs past him. Then he's got to turn and wheel with him back up the field. He he's in chase mode now, and then after it's completed, he actually misses the tackle. So he misses the tackle on what would have been the 50. And then to sort of add insult to injury, you know, Dron Harmon is the deep safety. He should have had the tackle at the 30. So there's two major missed tackles there. You know, Richards being taken advantage of. They go right at him with the back. They get the completion. He misses the tackle then at the 50. And uh, ends up being a 55-yard play for something that either should have been down at the, the, the at midfield at least or the, the, the far 30-yard line. Instead, it's way down at the other end, and you've got a hot mess. And now we're into the end-of-half sequence. Again, uh, two things to hear to me that were, were completely avoidable. Again, I think now that you're in two-minute sequence, Having Jordan Richards out there, you know, covering a, a pretty fleet back is is a tough matchup. You know, if you press Malcolm out of the field or, you know, th- then you just see the domino effect where you can put maybe Chung on this instead. And and uh, I don't know. I, I'm my mind's racing here a little bit on this one. There, there, I just think there are other options in this, and you put, it's a pretty tough matchup for Jordan Richards out in space. And he got beat, and I think the Eagles saw him and went went for him, and that's unfortunate. But. Um, Let's see. Here we go. Uh, da, 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 da. This defense, yeah, I'll say this here again. So this this defense on this sequence actually had Chung on a wide receiver and Richards on a back. So this is where I put in my notes. This is kind of where the Butler sense, the Butler choice made the least amount of sense to me. Like I can completely get if uh, there's a there's a plausible reason why Belichick would go with Rowe instead of Butler if you're just doing two two corner stuff. But for the third corner be, be on the field, it should have been Malcolm. He should have been at least in a minor role in my view, a 15 to 20 play kind of thing. And then he would be on the field there, and uh, it would have there would there and, and in my view I, there there really is no scenario in football. Uh, against that particular offense, well, maybe any offense, where the matchup of Jordan Richards and Chung 
uh, is better than the matchup of Chung and Butler. Now, I get where there might be some arguments. <coughs> excuse me, but for the coaching staff between Chung, I mean, excuse me, between Rowe and Butler, if it's a one for one there. But once it slides into this thing, I just can't see any situation where, from coverage purposes, you'd want Richards and Chung on there as opposed to Chung and Butler. That's just if if your whole thing here is covering people and either preventing them from catching it or or then tackling them once they do, that duo is not as good as the other one. I don't, I can't imagine something in practice would have changed that. So, I I I just didn't love the choice. I think a lot of fans out there kind of feel the same way. But I'm I'm thinking more here from less less my own. Per- it's not emotional. It's just more like pure football sense. I, I don't get. I just don't get that. And and we now know that there wasn't a disciplinary component to this. This was just a football choice and. I think there's better football choices that could have been made than this particular Sunday. So, anyway, moving on. There's the full trick play, and you guys all know that I pointed out that it was an illegal formation. Triple checked it; it's illegal. Uh, but again, I, I don't. I'm going to de-emphasize this on the pod. It's not the end of the world. I mean, clearly, this is right before half. There's a whole half of football to be played. What the ref should have done is obviously he blew it by not calling it illegal. It just would have blown blown it dead. Would have backed up five yards, would have been fourth and six, and they'd have to make a decision when not to kick a field goal going for the touchdown. They'd probably kick the field goal, and as poorly as the Patriots' defense played overall, it's still completely plausible. The game just goes a different way because the score would have been a little different. But it's not one of these, they would have won if you threw that flag. It should have been thrown. It's really obvious when you go back and look at some of the other stuff that where Jeffrey's alliance, you know, he's a wide, he's a wide receiver. He aligns every play, either on or off, and you know what his on depth from the ball is. He does it over and over and over again, and it's different than what he did on that play. And the idea that people are pointing to on Twitter at me, and they're trying to say, "Oh, see, he just he gestured to the ref. That means he's he's gesturing that he's on. He, he gestures when he's on, and he gestures when he's off. We don't know which of the two he was gesturing for. What we know is that the ref didn't the the ref blew it. He allowed him to be off uh, when he needed to be on. That that's really all there is to it. Um, and it's really obvious. You go back and look at really the whole two minute drive and look at the receiver alignments throughout it. On is a full yard closer than what he was doing. It just is. He's not covering up the tackle properly. It's an illegal formation. It is what it is. Didn't decide the game, but I think the people that try to make excuses that they they just don't make any sense any sense to me. It's they're too sensitive about this point. It's just it was illegal. It should have been called, and it doesn't matter that it didn't affect the outcome of the play. The play should have started, and it's it's the same thing with you know Gronk flat, you know flinching earlier. Um, false start starts the play over. You know, just because they say like a, an offensive guard flinches and it was going to be a pass play, you could say, oh, that wouldn't affect the outcome. Let it go on. No, that's just not. That's why you have these stupid rule books. If you're going to have the rule book and force the rule here, they didn't, and they got a freebie. So it is what it is. Moving on, um, they went right at Eric Lee, and I, I think you know, so. We're getting out of the whether or not the play alignment was legal. Uh, and just going into sort of the, the play itself, I, I thought this was a really, really smart football play. Uh, you know, very gutsy, obviously, by Doug Peterson to run this. Uh, it's executed very well by everyone other than, than Jeffrey's alignment, you know, because full sells it with the walk around, talk around kind of thing. And what needs to happen is the left outside linebacker who's young. It's Eric Lee. And, and I half wonder if, you know, because when you get an inexperienced guy at an outside spot and it's the outside guy that you're really optioning here, you're, you're hoping he doesn't – catch what it is that Foles is screwing around to do. If if Eric Lee comes off the ball and hits Foles at, as he runs past him, this play doesn't happen. But he starts to rush and leaving Foles standing there next to him or whatever was going on if he was moving a little bit. But the point is you have to hit him. You have to understand he's eligible. And, you know, a young player may not have picked up on the fact that he was an eligible player there. 
So, you know, they're taking a little bit of advantage of the inexperience. That's great coaching. That's a great play call. Um, Foles did a good job of catching it, obviously. Um, is what it is. Great job there by the Eagles. Awesome play design. Very smart play. Um, now we move on to the second half. So that expires the first half. We're going to go here to the second. We'll run through this a little more quickly than we did the first. But I call the first half, this first drive of the second half, it's the feed Gronk drive. Gronk was, uh, was lined uh, he runs a deep out here from inline. In other words, he's inline, so he's attached to the formation. He's in the box by the offensive tackle, but he still runs a, a deep out, and it's straight drop back, 25-yard play. Whoa. Now he's back in line, and Tom goes play action, and now it's a seam route for 24 yards. So off play action, hit him deep. Off drop back, hit him deep. Uh, now, later on, a little later in the drive, Gronk going to come back for a first down on third and seven. So he's really run three different kinds of routes, and beat him three different ways. And it's to me because this was the route, the drive, the drive right out of halftime. They had to, they it clearly had to have a let's a, let's feed Gronk kind of conversation. And after seeing how easily they go down the field in this drive, and he gets hit four times, four completions to him. The, the final being the the touchdown. Gronk's with a pivot route, so he starts to run outside, and then he pivots back to his inside, and Tom slides in, a, in a, another dime. He's single covered on that play by uh, the cornerback number 40, 20, 41, Excuse me. And why? I don't know. It's crazy to single cover him down there. They did. They toasted him. But clearly that was that was the feed ground drive. <laughs> Come out of halftime, realize they had not really gone to that well enough in the first half. They go to it there and walk right down the field. Uh, four completions to the dude, and he scores a touchdown, spikes it big. Uh, but now you're back to defense. Patriots do get it to third and six, and this is another one of those sort of frustrating moments with the whole Malcolm thing. Again, not knowing the backstory and how people practiced and whatever else it was, but after they'd had those problems with the the, the extra safety package, you know, having Jordan Richards uh, as a coverage, an extra coverage player as opposed to the third corner, they make a change. So they they're out of that and they bring in Jonathan Batamosi. So Batamosi now, who I think is greatest strength and he did a good job in the couple games he had to start earlier in the year uh, he's a great tackler because he's a real good special teams tackler and you think that's probably the best attribute you get by choosing him over you know maybe over Jordan Richards like he's going to be a little bit faster he's more of a corner he's a little more fluid in and out of breaks maybe his coverage skills will get him a little tighter there but he's also still a pretty good tackler um, and that's you know those two things were the issues you had that made you make the change after halftime but third and six Aguilar on the little short route Patamosi's there, short of the first down. It's not some you know exotic tackle that has to be made. It's just to pretty much get him down. He's right there, and he's right on top of it, and Patamosi misses it. So uh, that was a pretty straightforward play, pretty bad, and uh, that was probably one of those moments where you go, hmm, what does Malcolm Butler do the best? Maybe he gives up the catch, third and six, but if they're both in that exact same pitch, position short of the first down, I have a hard time believing Malcolm doesn't get him down. You know that's And so I can understand the frustration on that. It just... It seems like they had a better option to execute that play. And they went out of the way, and that's, you know, it's easy. I'm Monday morning quarterback in here myself, backseat driving, all that kind of stuff. But that was another one where you look at it and go, oof. Uh, so, you know, especially since the best thing you're expecting you're getting from Batamosi is the tackling. It's the special team tackling. The guys that can tackle really well in space play teams, and that's, you know, he, he's the coverage is going to be a notch below Malcolm, presumably, but the tackling will be there. And, and in this instance, the tackle wasn't. So uh, this was a big run game drive for the Eagles. They really controlled the line of scrimmage as a sort of an overall theme on this particular one. Uh, that was really obvious. It's not any one particular play. It's just a lot of line line control there. Um, 
And I think when that started happening, when you're winning a lot of one-on-one blocks there, Foles just started dealing, you know, dealing off play action. A couple runs, couple runs that are, you know, a couple runs are nice, and then he pulls it out and he starts dealing. And, again, I, this was the real theme for me going into the game. If there's going to be a play, you know, if there's going to be a, a solid control the line of scrimmage kind of run game, well, you're going to start to elevate Foles as a passer because you're going to create more opportunities for him. If if there was no running game, which I, I went in, admittedly, you know this if you listen to the pod, I I expected this Patriots run front to do w- much better than they did in this game. And when they you give up over 160, you give up six yards of carry, well, that to me helps explain more what went on in the passing game than anything. So this was a bad drive for that kind of stuff. Um, the Clement touchdown here comes, and I know there are some people out there that want to and rightfully so. I mean, I think I, I tweeted a snarky thing out at the time. I think that that would be an incompletion per the league's rules during the year because of the the bobble reset. But I don't want to spend the whole show complaining about that. I think it's at least close. It's questionable. Um, and I don't hate the interpretation of that, you know, being a catch because that's kind of what I want to see a catch being. I think the frustration would be more that pretty consistently that wasn't called a catch during the year, but now they do. So. That's more of a snarky thing, and I think the reason I don't really care to make too big of a deal about that at all is because the Patriots kind of screwed up the play. And and when when you screw up the rush that creates an opportunity, I'm, I'm less apt to want to argue about what happened at the end of the catch. So the Patriots went with – they had a four-man line. Marquise Flowers is a guy that ends up covering Clement, and what he has to do is peel. It's, it's basically you're the edge-of-the-line guy, but you're man-to-man on the back. So the back goes, you go with him. So Marquise Flowers does that. He goes with him, and he actually is pretty tight. It wasn't terrible coverage on Clement down the field. Uh, but what happens is, you know, when he, he he came down to the line as if he was going to rush, he bumped Mar- uh, he, not Marvin, <laughs> he bumped James Harrison down inside. And I don't know if Harrison just misinterpreted that or if it was somehow miscommunicated there that he was bumping him. Once Flowers peels and another has goes to the back, you do need someone to get back outside for the rush. But Harrison makes a really aggressive inside move, and now you'd have no edge to the defense, no one rushing outside. So as as Close as it is whether or not it was a catch down the field, you know, Foles throws a tremendous ball to get there. And the reason he's able to have such a stable base step into it completely unfettered is because, I, you know, James Harrison rushed inside and got just completely walled. You know, so if you get the normal even average to below average rush off the edge, pressing that tackle, Foles isn't able to step into that, isn't probably able to deliver the kind of ball that he did because it was delivered in a pretty tight spot between safety and then Flowers, you know, nipping at the heels. So to me, again, part of that is, you know, you can't complain. If you do everything right and then it's a questionable call, it's it's a little bit different conversation for me, but – the rush was effed up on a, on a in a big spot, and you rush up, you f up the rush, and then allow him to stand like it's some quarterback camp kind of thing and throw a ball like that. You know, I just think you you lose your ability to complain about the play much. So you know, close call on whether it was or not a catch, but the rush was messed up. So again, it was just sort of more detail screw ups by the Patriots defense on days where you got to be sharp if you want to be a champion, and they, they, there were enough of these where it was understandable, quite frankly, how it turned out, how it did without the victory. So. Now New England's back on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, this is just a gold drive. This is great. I mean, deep end cut, just a seed from Brady to Hogan right off play action. Anna Mandola runs a shake in the seam. He's 
They're chipping the edge for him now. Brady's got, Brady's got a super clean pocket. Perfect throw. Hogan's now he gets the touchdown on the next play. Uh, he, he kind of widens the seam. Like he starts to run, you know, as if he's kind of run the bow route sort of thing. We've talked about that earlier in the year, but then comes back. So he bows it out and then kind of comes back to the seam, crossing the, the defensive back's face. Um, the safety was favoring, though there is a middle of the field safety, but he's heavily favoring to the other side, Gronk. And we know from the last drive, Gronk was, you know, fed. This time, Brady looks off and he's staring to Gronk and it moves the safety. And then Hogan runs that great backside route, the bow thing. Um, and then, you know, he runs a great route back up the seam and, and Brady throws him a dime. And it's a touchdown, gold. Now they trail 29 to 26. Great offense there for the Patriots, just right down the field on this historic offensive day for them. Now, defensive, uh, the defense comes out. McCourty's now on Ertz, and that means Chung's on Aguilar. And it's tough, man. I mean, you know, I'm a huge, really fan of both those guys. I love both those guys' games. McCourty has a, the, the flexibility to play straight, you know, straight cornerback, or he can play safety. He can play all over the field, does for them at a really high level. Chung. He's great at covering tight ends. He can be your traditional zone safety down if he needs to. Great box tackling safety. But I thought it was a really tough matchup for him to give him Aguilar's. Nelson Aguilar's just, I thought he won that on the day. And just, you know, he's safety. Safety's covering wide receivers is really tough for anyone around the league. But, again, that's another moment where you've made the choice to cover their wide receivers with your safeties when you have a, a starting corner sitting over there. You know, it's tough. Aguilar won that matchup a lot. And there's probably some other things Patrick Chung in my own mind could have been doing. He could have been over there covering the heck out of Zach Ertz, and that would have been a great day. But uh, it chose to go a different way. It's tough to watch. Uh, and then there's an open zone. Uh, Torrey Smith over the ball again. Zone completion, nice ball there. That's not really a matchup coverage thing because he just played straight zone. And, and Foles had a, did a nice job of waiting for Smith to clear around one of the middle linebacker spots. Pops up in the middle and Foles delivers a really nice ball. Next play, or later in the drive anyway, it's a poor edge by Harrison. And uh, now this is Nelson Aguilar reverse. So I was surprised at this point that, that Harrison had been on the field so much. And again, I mentioned Dietrich Twige didn't play much at all. Uh, Van Noy didn't spend as much time on the edge as I think you'd like to see him. Maybe they just felt like they had to have him inside. But again, that speaks to the inside linebacker depth where maybe I think if you've got David Harrison there, you feel more comfortable letting uh, Van Noy take more outside reps where I think he's really good. But he didn't get to work out there as much. And you know, uh, James Harrison had a really poor edge on this particular series deep in the red zone. Nelson Aguilar gets the reverse, and he scored. Or, excuse me, he gets the conversion. So it sets him up. It was just bad football. It's first down. And, you know, it's a reverse that you could see coming, and you need some sort of edge. Even a stalemate makes that thing bounce a little better. But he's getting knocked back on the edge, and, and Aguilar turns a corner, runs it, gets a first down. So Marquise Flowers now in the game, tackle for loss. Well, this ends up being a hold for field goal. And he flashes there, TFL for Marquise Flowers. And I'm thinking the same thing that I think I mentioned early in this. Why isn't he on the field more? You know, he got in one snap. And, uh, you know, it, it just it occurred to me that I think he's 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 really been a nice player for this team. And and he, he got his moments on that day. Yes, he you know, the, the tight coverage and Clement catches that seam route on him after he peels you know, on the previous drive. But I think by and large, he's a positive player that's earned more time. He'll be a fun one to watch next season. So a positive, I think, that came out of this game and something we knew kind of leading up to it. There's my phone ringing. I'll not take that now. <laughs> we'll finish this thing up, folks. 
So moving on, uh, now New England is, uh, as I mentioned, that held them to the field goal. That was a good hold there by the defense. Again, not forcing a punt, which obviously is preferable, but at least they're getting stops of some kind. And I, the offense is back on the field. It's crazy. A uh, couple nice Burkhead runs, play action over to Amendola. You know, play action fake, pull it over route to Amendola. Huge play, fade to Gronk. Uh, was, uh, fade. I'm sorry, it was too long. He's uh, soloed. It's like conceding a touchdown. I don't get it. Like, I just don't understand this. You get down in the red zone, and you're just going to throw a fade to Gronk, and he's, he, just, he's, he has too much length. Like, the guy's all over him. He can't cover. Couldn't cover. Couldn't do any better. You can see the frustration. The defensive backs are looking to the, def- the, the officials for help. You're not going to get it. You're right on top of them. It's not push off. Each person's touching each other. Gronk just you know, drops his hands and extends, and you can't get to him. So you shouldn't be soloing down there. Teams continue to do that. And in my view, it's almost like conceding a touchdown. They go up 33-32. Patriots now lead. Uh, and again, Patriots back on defense. Again, this To me, it's adding to the list. Rowe with another PBU. Deep PBU. It would have been a huge play in the game for the other side. Rowe has a nice pass breakup. Um, the one little thing is I'm going to put this video out here later. I think this is a, an instructive kind of one. But, uh, you know, Lawrence Guy, actually, if I'm going to look at guys on the defensive front that I thought – you know, you don't want to lump them all in together. It is a team effort, so you don't mind sort of we all go down with a ship kind of feel. But I thought Lawrence Guy really played pretty solid on the day, and he's really been one of the more consistent guys throughout the year. He won his blocks uh, most of the time today on this on the Super Bowl Sunday. So he was, uh, you know, a bright light in a, in a group that was not having its best work. So uh, it's worth mentioning that because you don't want to, you know, it, it's still, he still had a nice performance. So now I just built him up and then I have to make a point on this particular play. But uh, the, the Clement does release late, late play action. And Guy didn't get much done on his river, on his, on his rush. And I've actually highlighted uh, Ricky Jean Francois at other times during this year for doing this on this podcast where he, would hit the back as the back releases. And it's like, hey, you're, you're starting to rush. you got nothing out of the rush. You locate the back, realize he's going to release through your hole, knock him down, kills the play. Uh, Lawrence missed this one. Maybe just didn't see it. Just not great awareness on that particular play. Back leaks through. The coverage is way off. And if you don't get the help from the defensive lineman there, it's tough for the, the linebackers to rally down in time. It ends up being a seven-yard game. It does make it uh, just end one, I think, third and one or something like that. They don't get on the first one. They do go for it on fourth and one. It was an illegal pick, but they didn't call it. You know, I think the overall theme of this game was from just the whether or not something was illegal or whether or not it was pass interference. Generally speaking, they kind of let both teams play. So I think technically you can go back and look at that late drive, the fourth and one conversion that the Eagles got. It's definitely an illegal pick. It's not at one yard. It's at about three. Uh, it's the second tight end whose turns he's not selling. He doesn't try to make it look like it's a pass turn and pretend like he's catching or anything. He just sticks his shoulder out there and knocks him off. It's a good pick. It's a good play, and it's not as if the Patriots don't have picks in their elements. I think they just sell it better to keep from getting the flag, but to me this felt more like they just stuck with a theme of they weren't going to call very many of those kinds of flags on this particular day. So, again, that one doesn't bother me nearly as much as the illegal formation, uh, which to me is the most blatant one, and then the thing of the Hail Mary at the end of the game. We'll talk about that later. But <coughs> oh, Excuse me. Coffee. Need you, buddy. All right. Back at it. We're almost to the end here, folks. Hang on there. Pump your IVs. So let's go here now to uh, an Aguilar cross. An Aguilar, uh, hey, sweetheart. An Aguilar cr- crossing route for a first down. And, uh, you know, they've, they've just gotten that first down conversion on the fourth and one that we mentioned. 
And uh, you've got Patrick Chung, who's a really good player for them, but you're covering wide receiver with a safety again. And uh, Eric Lee, who's in there to rush, I think it's the best thing he does, but where he struggled or, you know, later in the year was the stand-up stuff. You know, he's not a great pass-dropping. He's more of a, an outside linebacker that goes forward, you know. And he's a fat, flat dropper, flat, sorry, flat dropper uh, to the side uh, that Aguilar's crossing route goes. So it's a little rough having Aguilar being, you know, or I'm sorry, for Patrick Chung, uh, safety having to cover one of their better wide receivers. And then you've actually got the extra player dropping to where the crossing route hits, and it's Eric Lee, but he just kind of doesn't do much. He just looks like how defensive ends that are out in space look or outside linebackers that aren't aren't real adept coverage players look. He's just kind of floating out there in the flat doesn't get turned around, doesn't affect the throw. But defensively, it's like you've drawn up the perfect thing as far as the scheme itself anyway. You've got an extra flat defender out to the side. They're trying to run a crossing route over. It, it should be picked. You know, it should, you should have an extra player out there. Plus then, like I said, you're trailing the route a little bit because you're trying to cover it with a safety instead of a defensive back. And again, you've got a pretty good one for yourself that's, that's not playing. So, um, Moving on here, uh, I would say – We'll let's let's get right here to the end. Uh, I, I want to give I want to give Foles a lot of credit here on this drive because this is obviously his big sort of championship moment, and he and he earned it. He throws a seed between the middle middle zone droppers, uh, you know, after that crossing route. So as they kind of get going here, he's he's getting comfortable in the pocket. He's stepping into throws, throws a seed right over the middle. It's it's a great throw. It's a great throw between the the coverage players that are. Now just trying to read the quarterback because things, you know, the, the dam is leaking, you know, and you can kind of get that feel. Um, next thing you know, it's, uh, it's it's down there deep in the red zone, and they go ISO backside with with Ertz. Ertz is extended from the formation. You got to kind of like the, the, the matchup you have because McCourty's extended to him. You know, McCourty covering a tight end, that's, that's, that's a good matchup. This is, you know, two all-pro quality kind of guys, or at least Pro Bowl quality with Ertz. And and Devin's a, a pro bowl or sometimes all pro kind of dude. And uh, so, you know, from straight personnel standpoint, you can't feel bad about that. But that's what they always say in championship games. You know, you got to make a play. Somebody's got to play. Make a play. The guy that makes a play is probably going to get the ring. In this particular case, Certs runs a really nice route, just shakes him enough. Devin slips slightly and gets himself free, and he, and he makes the touchdown. So that was that was obviously a big moment in the game. They make a play. You got to make a play. In this particular instance, they made one. Now uh, that's uh, that's a two-minute drive uh, <laughs> still left in the game. I'm sorry, you've now you've now left it to be uh, two minutes left in the game. You give Brady a chance, uh, even though you know it's not it's not pretty, but it there, it's still an opportunity there. Although that was seven-plus minute drive, I think that's important because I'd made this little note to myself that it was a seven-plus minute drive that started this thing. Remember the thing that led it off at the very beginning? They started with a seven-plus minute drive. Their final big one there, you know, there is a, a short field goal one here where they're just basically running it in and kick the field goal. But the the last full drive was another seven-minute plus, and I think that's kind of a a telling book into how this whole thing went out. But two twenty-one to go in the game. 38-33, Patriots trail. Um, 
this is when the sack fumble happened. Shaq Mason had a had a great game on the day, but uh, you know, just guy got to his corner, reached through, and slapped the ball away. And again, it's sort of the the hat tip moment. Uh, the Eagles defense played atrociously on this day. You know, you don't give up 600 yards, you don't give up over 30 points, and feel good about yourself. Uh, I think you know the the way the conversations are now going about what's wrong with the Patriots defense and remaking the defense and how are the many, many ways you can fix this group with all their problems. And I'm, I'm obviously being facetious there because the Eagles are clearly not being spoken about in that regard. And they all but this play, they performed just as badly, if not worse. So they came up in the big moment. And in those moments, you, you tip your cap, you deep bend at the waist because you get a ring for stepping up when you had to most. But uh, that's, that's, that's what happened. So, you know, he gets the strip sack and it changes the end of the game where I think Brady with two, 220 left, you got a great opportunity. But somebody on the other side made a play finally for the, for the Eagles defense, and uh, that ends up being the difference. Now, uh, again, this kind of gets lost. This will be the footnote of, of history, but the, the, the New England defense actually does a nice job. They do get the strip sack off them. One, you know, one first down here and it ends the game. Now, granted, you kind of know the Eagles are going to run each one. They don't want to ever risk passing and, and you know stopping the clock. So they didn't make the, the mistake that Atlanta made a year before. So they run it three times in a row, which is somewhat predictable, but at least give the Patriots credit. As much as the offensive line had been controlling them through the game, on this three-down sequence, they did not, and they get the stop. So they force the field goal. That makes it 41-33, which we all know ends up being the final score. Now, to me, this is the thing that I should really sort of hammer home here because this is, this is where the situational football should shine brightest. This is the, something that I want you to remember 10 years from now. You know, I want you to remember it if we're doing the pod years later or whatever. Think back to this. Is This is how it all connects together, and this is where the stuff really matters, and this is where, you know, just blaming uh, the coach's decision with Malcolm Butler as the reason it all happened – isn't good enough you know it's that's not the only answer there's 20 other things right they just overall as a as a team didn't play well enough on this day and you know obviously particularly defensively but also it was a step back game for special teams and that's kind of the point I want to make here so you've you've taken I'm sorry you've you've uh you've gotten the stop you needed they've got a kick to you all you need is the length of the field in minutes time which with Brady you know it's possible and we'll see why here in a second um, they try this reverse uh, on the kick return, and they only get it to the nine. And I'm thinking to myself, it, 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 well, and let me let me first talk you through why this happened. Johnson Batamosi, who you know, uh, you know, really good special teams player for them. Uh, we mentioned the issue we had with the tackling um, and, and the moments that he got to play some defensive back, and instead of Malcolm Butler, uh, that missed tackle was one little knock. But also on this final kickoff coverage. Um, you know, or kick return, excuse me. They're trying to run this reverse back to his side, and the guy he's responsible for blocking runs straight down the field as a penetrator. I don't know if he even touched him, and he screws up the whole play so the reverse doesn't work. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, has Bottomosi made this block, they've got some giant return, but I think you at least at that moment can see as it's set up that you get back to at least what would have been the, the touchback area, at least the 25. And why does that matter? Because this thing gets hit on the 9 now which makes the offense have to go that much further. Why do those 16 yards matter so much? Because he ends up throwing Hail Marys two downs from the 49. How much different are those 16 yards? 
plays from the 35. Then you don't have to do two Hail Marys. You can do a chunk play and then get a shot at the end zone. Or you can do a 10-yard play and get a reasonable 20-yard, 20-ish yard kind of pass. So that kick return really affected how they were able to finish the game and the fact that you're throwing Hail Marys from midfield instead. So that's a major screw-up, you know, and, and not being able to execute a return at the end of the game. And I, I don't mind the creativity whatsoever, but – it was blocked poorly, and you know they just didn't block well on kick returns in this game overall. So they didn't cover them when they needed to, and didn't get the return that they needed to. So that hurt. So now the players have, you know, the Patriots get a couple completions. Uh, they get now they get themselves to a point where there's two plays to go from the 49 yard line, and just imagine how different it would have been if it had been the 36. That's what I'm trying to impress upon you. That's the one thing I do want you to remember. Um, but this is important to make. And again, I think if you listen to the show, I think if you listen to this thing start to finish, maybe someone pulls this next quote that I'm about to say and tries to make it the theme of the whole thing I talked about. It was not. Uh, but yeah, the refs blew a call at the end of the game. And it, it wouldn't have necessarily won the Patriots the game, not at all. And that's why I, I, people that are sensitive to this point, it's just they hate facts apparently, but factually, um, factually, it should have been redone. Uh, they, it's, an, it's, it's a legal contact, no question. Malcolm Jenkins hits Chris Ogan. Brady's still in the pocket. There is 0.0 question of that. Go back and check on the, the end zone copy from the coach's copy. He's hitting Tom, or he's hitting Hogan while Brady's in the pocket. You can't do that. It's a legal contact. So, yes. And why does that matter? Let me explain why. It's not just incidental because the reason those guys are running down there, some to be the deep tip player, some to be the short tip player, you know, that ball bounces around. It's awful close to, to Philip Dorsett. Uh, they're, they're supposed to have the unfettered right to get down there. If you were allowing them to hit them out in the middle of the field, which he did, it slows his run. He ends up 10 yards behind everyone else, and he's not there as the ball's being tipped around. So you should have had the opportunity to be a player on that tip pass. You weren't because of an illegal play. Do I think that, you know, on a redo of the Hail Mary, they're going to get it? No, it's highly unlikely, extremely unlikely. But you know the history of this league. You know, the Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is, you know, has all the amazing uh, the Hail Mary stuff. Stafford's had some. But you can imagine the uproar if in one of theirs, you know, somebody just blows up a dude with an illegal contact in the middle of the field. They're not allowed to get down and have the play. It's just illegal. So my thing is not that the Patriots got screwed. They would have won. I've already cataloged all the hunt, you know, dozens of things they did that makes it not, you know, not necessarily deserve to win. But that doesn't mean you stop enforcing the rules. It's just so stupid to me that you even have the rule if you're allowed to to, to violate that, that obviously out in the middle of the field. And again, we're not talking about you know, whether or not one, someone can contact someone or understanding it's way more aggressive play on the ball with the throw in the end zone. I get that. You're not strictly calling pass interference there. We're not talking about that. We're talking about just basic. You can't jam receivers 15 yards downfield on, on a Hail Mary or any Mary. <laughs> you can't do that. And they let them do it. So I don't understand why. I just don't understand why have the rule. And I don't, and the, the excuse that, oh, let them, you know, it's the final play. They don't want the refs to decide the play. Well, they're not. It's not a spot foul. It's not, it's not calling pass interference in the end zone. It's just a restart five yards and do it again because the game came in on a penalty. That's it. So call it. It's factually correct that it should have been called. It was a major blown thing. Why? Because he, he's allowed to be a part of the play. It's why they designed the play that way. But they blew it. And for those of you that call that whining, a, say it to my face, and I bet you won't, uh, clearly. And then the other part of that is, no, it's, it's not whining at all. Not, they're not winning. They, they most likely would not have won. My, my view here is always that this is a football game with a f- football rule book, call the damn rules, 
And who wins, wins. It, it really doesn't matter from there. But this is what happened. And that is the end of your game. And I think at the end of it, obviously, it's crushing for Patriots fans. But it's a super deep bend at the waist hat tip and, and uh, bow to the Eagles because they made more plays. Yeah. Defensively, they didn't play really much better than the Patriots, but they did make one play in the end. And uh, offensively, the Eagles, they played brilliantly. And it just is what it is. So congrats to those guys. They are champs. They deserve to be champs. But your Patriots team uh, gave you a very entertaining year. They were still a fun team to watch. Uh, you know, it is, it's obviously disappointing that they didn't put the best version of themselves out there on the final day of the week. But, you know, this is kind of what most teams go through each year when you're used to your Patriots always winning. Usually the other team is putting their, their less than ideal performance out there as the Patriots walk through them. So we're all on the other side of that this year, and sometimes that happens. But let's head into this offseason. We'll do some more shows. I'll give you a, a better sense of what the offseason schedule will be for the Real Thing Patriots podcast. But as always, I'm Matt Chatham, and I want to thank you so much for your, your patronage here listening to the show throughout the year. We're going to continue to grow this thing. Uh, the numbers were great, especially in December and as we hit the playoffs. The show grew, especially a nice show there out and out and uh, out when we were in Minnesota as well. So I'm going to try to do some more things with the show, with Nesson, with uh, my other jobs, and uh, kind of figure out how we might start covering some off-season material as well. But first of all, I'm going to go ice fishing, and for the rest of you, please, you know, enjoy your life as well and push away from football a little bit. I think that's a good thing to do as well. We get really deep into the stuff, and I know people get emotionally invested in it. But at the end of the day, this is entertainment. Hopefully I was entertaining and as well as in, as informative for you out there. I know you love your team. You have every right to. Uh, they apprise themselves pretty well this year, just didn't quite finish it off. By and large, go Pats. <laughs> but uh, let's, just, uh, let's just continue to enjoy appreciating what we go have going on around us. A lot of teams out there didn't get to go on the ride that you got to go on this year. Once again, this was the Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. Thank you, folks. We'll talk at you another time. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.